From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. As those of you who are watching on YouTube and Facebook Live already know, you leave the door open a crack and a father of mercy will find his way in. <laughs> father Wade Menezes is live in studio with us today and ready to take your phone calls. The number to be on the program is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email. That email address is openline at EWTN.com. That's openline at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky And Jeff Burson, magnificent person, handling our social media efforts. So if you are watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host is he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes, how are you? I'm doing great, Jack, and it's good to be here in studio with all of you, this this faithful team each week that helps me uh, carry out this hour. And I'm in town uh, to promote uh, the new book, Catholic Essentials, A Guide to Understanding Key Church Teachings, for the television end of things. So we're going to tape Doug Keck's bookmark this week. A few Women of Grace episodes. I think you know the host of that show. Real men are guests on Women of Grace. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) So we're doing four episodes with Women of Grace, and then we're doing the live show on Friday as well. Awesome. And then uh, the half-hour up-close-and-personal show as well. And we're trying to fit in a pre-record of Father Mitch Pacwa's uh, EW10 Live for Wednesday night. That would air at a later time. Running you through the whole car wash. That's right. That's a good way to put it, So let me be the first to say... It is good that we are here. Great. Amen. Yes, and that's a great lead-in <laughs> for today's springboard of our Feast of the Transfiguration of Our Lord, celebrated just a few days ago on the 6th of August. What does it mean? And what does it mean for us human persons, huh? the Transfiguration of Our Lord? Well, the Transfiguration of Our Lord regards that sacred event when Jesus revealed His glory in the presence of certain chosen witnesses, namely the Apostles Peter and the brothers James and John. And filled with the greatest splendor that bodily human form could muster up in its divine glory to show that he shares with us what will one day be ours should we make it to heaven ourselves. He did the transfiguration for two reasons. Number one, to give all of us a glimpse of the glory that awaits each one of us who attains to salvation in the glorified state. And number two, he was also transfigured before his three apostles so that the scandal of the cross might be removed from the hearts of his disciples when they witnessed his crucifixion on that first Good Friday. By recalling the event of the transfiguration, these three apostles would be charged with relaying the message of hope to the other followers of Christ who might be tempted to despair 
at the event of his death. We are told in the Gospels that while Jesus was praying on a mountain, which tradition holds to be Mount Tabor, his face suddenly did shine as the sun, while his garments became glistening, exceedingly white even. The three witnesses then saw Moses and Elijah appear before them and converse with Jesus. Then a cloud was cast over them, indicating the presence of the Holy Spirit, according to the writings of the Church Fathers. And when they entered the cloud, they became frightened. And from that cloud, the voice of God the Father was heard, who said to the three, This is my chosen Son. Listen to him. This extraordinary vision vanished as suddenly as it had appeared. The Church's celebration of this Christ-centered event occurs as a feast day on August 6th every year on the Church's liturgical calendar. The word transfiguration comes from the Latin infinitive transfigurare, meaning to change the figure of. So the resplendence of the transfiguration reveals the fullness of life destined to be our own. We glimpse the glory that God wills for our humanity and for each one of us personally and individually. But we experience this transfiguration like Jesus only by configuration to Jesus. That's worth repeating, I think. We will one day experience this transfiguration like Jesus only by configuration now in our lives to Jesus as we peer into the glory that pours from every pore of the transfigured Christ, we cast off everything unworthy of our personal relationship with the Savior. We do this especially through the sacraments of confession and the Eucharist, where Jesus gazes back at us with a look of love that makes us desire to live his luminous beauty. Silently from Mount Tabor's splendor, the Savior tells us, Become what you behold in me. And all fall silent in adoration. It reminds us of Eucharistic adoration, huh? the hidden glory of God. But here on Mount Tabor, Jack, it was not hidden. It was quite, quite visible. And a great Eastern early church father, Anastasius of Sinai, bishop, says this, Jesus goes before us to show us the way, both up the mountain and into heaven. And I speak boldly, he states, it is for us now, now to follow him with all speed yearning for the heavenly vision that will give us a share in his radiance, renew our spiritual nature, and transform us into his own likeness, making us forever sharers in his Godhead and raising us to heights as yet undreamed of. So, two reasons why Jesus was transfigured, to protect the apostles and the disciples from the scandal of the cross when they would see him lying dead from the cross, dead from the cross, and buried, that they would have the hope of what they had seen in the transfiguration. And secondly, to give us a glimpse of the great gift of the transfigured uh, state that awaits our own humanity uh, when we die and, God willing, enter into heaven. So we can say that Christ's Mount Tabor radiance is kind of like a mirror in which we gain a glimpse the glory that God gives to his friends who remain faithful to him to the end. That is, to those who persevere in carrying their cross with Christ, gazing then at Jesus, we are told, be not afraid, be not afraid. So instead, we raise our eyes and see what is in store for God's beloved sons and daughters by God's grace for those who remain faithful to him. So we want to be transfigured like Jesus, but first we have to configure to Jesus 
What is something in your life, my live hour listener right now of Open Line Tuesday, either on the podcast live or watching our Facebook uh, feed live at EWTN's Facebook page, or maybe the EWTN radio, uh, uh, excuse me, the EWTN YouTube page or the EWTN radio Facebook page. Uh, what is something that you have recently done away with to help you configure more to Jesus, or maybe something you've taken on in the positive to help you configure yourself more to Jesus. Maybe it was a, a problem with alcoholism, and you never, never had enrolled in AA. But now recently, by the grace of God, you have enrolled in AA. That's a step forward to f- f- configuring yourself to wanting to overcome your alcoholism, thus configuring yourself to a life of grace and virtue like Jesus. So uh, give a call today. Send us a, an email today of something that you have either given up in the negative or have taken on in the positive to help you configure yourself more like Jesus Christ, our Savior, in this walk on this earth. You know, next week, uh, my topic is going to be, Jack, the white martyrdom, as opposed to the red martyrdom of death, uh, the white martyrdom of crosses, tribulations, persecutions, that maybe don't lead us to a red martyrdom of blood, but it's still a white martyrdom nonetheless. It's interesting that uh, St. John Paul II, during his World Youth Days that were held, peppered throughout his 26-year pontificate, not a World Youth Day went by where he didn't mention the white martyrdom to the young people gathered before him. That's how important the white martyrdom is. So this configuration to Jesus can be a type of a white martyrdom. Why? Because we got to give up something to configure ourselves to him, something that we didn't think we could ever give up, or we take on something, maybe back to Sunday Mass, something we had given up for years. And so we take on something to configure ourselves more like him. Uh, give us a call and witness today. I'm not asking for a public confession. That's for, the, that's for the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. But I am asking for a witness. I am asking for a witness. How are you configuring yourself more closely to Jesus to one day be like him in the transfiguration, which he did atop Mount Tabor, to show his apostles and disciples the glory that awaits them and their glorified heavenly state when they make it to heaven, and also to protect the apostles and disciples from the scandal of the cross. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, let me suggest to you that you uh, sign up for EWTN's weekly uh, e-newsletter. It's called Wings, and you can find out about EWTN radio and TV shows, items from EWTN's religious catalog, and a whole lot more. You can sign up for Wings at EWTN.com. 
dot com slash subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. I think we have Father Wade squared away, those of you who are watching on YouTube and Facebook Live. Uh, Michael McCall, producer man, had to come out of his lair and get Father Wade hooked up here. It's not. It's Father Wade's a rookie. I know he's never been in the studio here before, but somehow he felt like he needed to swallow the microphone today. So we, I think we we think we've got my, my Portuguese vocal cords are are stronger than I think. You know, it's interesting, Father. We were talking uh, during the break that you would ask people, uh, you know, how they're being transformed. Um, into the image of Christ in conjunction with the celebration of the Feast of the Transfiguration. When John Paul II gave us the Luminous Mysteries, the first reflection, the first little pamphlet that included the Luminous Mysteries with short reflections uh, for use when you're praying the Rosary, for the fourth Luminous Mystery, the reflection was that you allow the brilliance and the light of the transfiguration to shine into the dark places in your soul Mm. that need to be transformed into the image of Christ. Beautiful, beautiful image, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and the Luminous Mysteries, I love them as well. Uh, Something that John Paul II said in in Rosarium Virginis Mariae, the document from October 2002, where he uh, promoted officially, uh, ecclesially, uh, across the globe, the Luminous Mysteries. He said, I'm also offering the five Luminous Mysteries because as beautiful as the other three sets of mysteries are, the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious, none of them, none of those 15 in those three sets, none of those 15 mysteries focus per se on the public life of Christ. Now, the first sorrowful mystery, the agony in the garden, you can make the claim that he's still technically in his public life. Why? Because he hasn't been arrested yet. But for all intents and purposes, his public preaching had ceased by the time the agony in the garden took place. So this is another reason why the, the five luminous mysteries are so great, beginning with the baptism in the Jordan, which is the event that inaugurates his public ministry, um, and then the, the self-manifestation of our Lord's divinity at the wedding feast of Cana, his first public miracle, the proclamation of the kingdom of God and the call to conversion of hearts, the fourth one being the transfiguration, our springboard for today, and then fifthly and lastly, the institution of the Holy Eucharist, which brings to mind the three-year Eucharistic revival called by the uh, our U.S. CCB. Uh, so just a, a, a wonderful uh, uh, series of, of beauty here in these five luminous mysteries. So give us your testimony today at 833-288-3986. First up is Diane in the great state of Minnesota listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Diane, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. How are you? Great, Diane. Thank you for your call from <laughs> Minnesota today. Yeah. Thank you. Um, my my husband and I love to sit down and watch murder mysteries and that sort of thing, and we're, we're kind of hooked on uh, Hercule Poirot right now. Oh, great! <laughs> and, uh, we we were watching one episode, and during there was one scene where they had to conduct an exhumation in a churchyard, and of course there was a I, I'm I'm assuming it was an Anglican priest, but he was there, and they were they were exhuming. Uh, the body of a clergyman for, uh, you know, testing for drugs and all that that kind of stuff. And the thought just struck me. Um, I was just wondering what the Catholic protocol is for conducting an exhumation, if there was ever a need for it. 
Oh, absolutely. What, what a great, great question. And by the way, you're talking to an Agatha Christie fan here. I thought I'd mention that as well. Uh, the church respects the civil authorities and the things they need to do with a deceased body in regards to taking tests of the body, maybe something for the court case, etc., to exhume it, to test it, to re-examine it, uh, to do a second autopsy uh, after the initial burial, it's, it's exhumed, etc. The church respects all that, but the church would ask that the civil authorities take care to um, have respect for the remains, a proper respect for the remains, and that they be re, uh, re-interred or reburied once again following those uh, tests that were done uh, after the exhumation. It could be also that the, the family decides after the exhumation and after those subsequent tests that take place after the exhumation to go ahead and this time uh, cremate the remains. And the church would respect that too, because uh, cremation is permitted, provided it's not done in defiance to the reality of the resurrection and, and in a way to uh, downplay the reality of the resurrection. The cremation is permitted. Uh, so that would be the family's choice. But either way, uh, the, the church would ask that those remains be uh, uh, respected and handled with care and handled accordingly during the tests, and then reburied respectfully, or and also if 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 again if cremated, then also those cremains could not be scattered. The church permits cremation, as I just said, but it means that the bot that the cremains and the urn have to be interred either in an above ground columbarium or in the earth, uh, in its own grave in the earth, or possibly with another full-body grave in the earth. Many cemeteries permit that now, uh, or um, uh, in the columbarium itself. So those are the choices for the urn. So the Church would ask that all those uh, things be respected if an exhumation ever has to take place after an initial burial. Great question. So much, Diane. Thank you. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next stop on the Orient Express today is the great state of North Carolina. Enrique is in North Carolina listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Enrique, you're on with Father Wade. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> okay, uh, I'd stop you. Enrique, I'd stop you right there, pal. <laughs> I'm, a, I, I'm a priest. So oh, okay, great. I, but, but I, you know, some of us priests have talked together, and, you know, sometimes priests don't have the, the, all the answers. Boy, and, you ain't a you kidding. Know, you, you, you know, in our preparation, we take all the philosophy, metaphysics, all of that other stuff, and understand the difference between the created time and space and eternity and all of that. Okay, here's here's where I'm going with this. You spoke about the transfiguration a couple of minutes ago, and at the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah were seen in bodily form. Now, we were talking about the communion of the saints and praying to the saints who are in the presence of God, and and as you know, in the Missal, they added the words in your presence to Eucharist prayer number three, because I wasn't there before in the in the older Missal, in the sacramentary. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we think about that, and we're thinking about something that is outside of time and space, outside of the created existence, and in the presence of God, would be 
saints be considered, since Christ's accomplishment permeated all time and space, uh, would this would they be considered in in the resurrection outside of time and space? Those souls in heaven that are in his presence as Eucharistic prayer three states, yes, but not with sentient bodily form. Uh, only the souls, because this, the, the, the second coming hasn't taken place yet for the bodies to be reunited with their souls. But the souls, which have intellective and rational properties, the souls are in heaven, and they have full knowledge that they are in the beatific vision, uh, enjoying uh, eternal beatitude with God. So, you know, I've said this before on Open Line Tuesday, maybe you, you've heard it in a previous show, Father Enrique, that, and you know this well as, as a priest, I have no doubt, we're a body-soul composite. We don't have bodies, we are bodies. Uh, we don't have souls, we are souls. That's how intimate and intricate the body-soul compositeness is in the human person, so much so that the Church actually teaches, you know, we talk about matter and form of the sacraments. Well, the Church actually teaches that the soul is the form of the body. It's its animating principle. So with the body, we have the five bodily senses of sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. With the soul, we have the, the four primary faculties of intellect, will, memory, and imagination. Well, those four intellective faculties of the soul are present in the souls that do uh, share in the beatific vision right now, meaning those that have gone to heaven already, either directly after death, which is possible, in fact, that's God's plan A for us, or uh, through a prior purgation, uh, in purgatory, and then entered heaven, what's called a delayed manner. So those are the two ways we can enter heaven, either immediately or delayed through purgatory. So, uh, but, but those souls in heaven do possess the intellective awareness through the intellect uh, th itself, uh, the will, the memory, and the imagination, the four primary faculties of the soul, to be beholding the beatific vision, and not only to be beholding it, but to know precisely that they are. Now, for us right now, talking about this on Earth, it's hard to imagine how that's the case, because we have those four intellective properties of the soul with the five bodily senses, and so it may be hard for us to understand how that is right now in an earthly mode to be thinking about it and talking about it, and this brings us back to those conversations with your priest friends, how can this be? Well, it is, it is difficult to understand, but remember, um, the, 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 the soul is the animating principle per se of the body. Does that help you out a little bit? Well, it does, but the, 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 the leftover part is the apostles seeing Elijah and right. uh, Moses in the bodily form. Right. Well, that could just be simply an apparition of those two. Okay, that could just be a simple apparition of those two. Remember, even with the Marian apparitions that are that are approved by the Church, the Church teaches that that can either be Mary herself, literally, like let's say Fatima or Lourdes, that are fully approved by the Church. That can be either be Mary, literally, by the permissive will of God, to be appearing literally herself, qua herself on earth, or... It can simply be an apparition of Mary, meaning that it's not her self qua herself. It's an apparition of her. Okay. Same thing with, with Moses and Elijah appearing on Mount Tabor, what tradition holds to be Mount Tabor, uh, during the Transfiguration. It could be—we uh, know that through faith that the, the souls of Moses and Elijah have not reunited with them yet. We know Mary's body and soul are united through her assumption that we're going to celebrate next week as a solemnity. We know that. 
we have it on faith that the bodies of Moses and Elijah respectively have not been reunited with their souls. So with the two of them on Mount Tabor, it's safe to have the theological conjecture that it was an apparition only. But with marrying apparitions, the approved ones especially, uh, and, and even with the ones that are still under study, like Medjugorje, uh, you can have theological conjecture that it's Mary herself literally or an apparition of her. Does that help out? Yes, on the resurrection, on the resurrected state of the body. Go to that section. It talks about this. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. One line open for you at 833-288-3986. So when I think about a Fathers of Mercy retreat, I think of like a big tent in a field with lots of loud music and people jumping and hollering and singing and... No, those are your Protestant roots talking uh, to you. Okay, <laughs> well, well, straighten me out. Okay, what is a parish mission like preached by the Fathers of Mercy? Well, it's a fantastic opportunity, I'll tell you that, for the people, the parish, and surrounding community to come together for a four or five night presentation on a particular theme or topic of Catholic teaching. Pope St. John Paul II once said that for the periodical renewal of a parish, nothing beats a parish mission. With such things as daily Eucharistic adoration, ample opportunity for confession, and a solemn closing Mass on the last night, a parish mission is a great opportunity for both individual and parish-wide renewal. It provides a wonderful opportunity for parish-wide strengthening of the Church's teaching. And you know, Jack, we had a, a, a mission band meeting just yesterday at the General at House in Kentucky, just before I left to, to come here and uh, to EWTN. And uh, our mission director, Father John Broussard, informed us that there's still some openings for uh, Lent 2023. So if there's a pastor listening right now, Father Enrique, who is just on, uh, or, or another pastor listening who would like to maybe have a, a four- or five-night parish mission, especially, again, with the Eucharistic revival being called for by our nation's bishops, by the USCCB, um, it's a great time to have a four- or five-night parish mission. Um, on the Eucharist, the Doctrine of the Real Presence. Uh, we begin the first, uh, if it's a five-night mission, we begin the first four nights with solemn uh, exposition of the Most Blessed Sacrament with the 40-minute the mission talk, followed by solemn benediction of the Eucharist over the congregation with uh, the singing and the incense and the bells and, and all the, all the, the ritual that the pontificate Kale calls for, for ex solemn exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. And then on the last night, we have a solemn closing Mass, where the homily at that Mass serves as the final mission conference. So maybe a, a pastor is listening right now. Again, maybe Father Enrique wants to have a parish mission. Uh, contact our mission director, Father John Broussard, Fathers of Mercy mission director, Father John Broussard. You can email him at missions at fathersofmercy.com. That's the word mission with an S at the end of it. Missions at fathersofmercy.com. All lowercase, all one word, missions at fathersofmercy.com. For a parish mission, it does have to be the pastor who contacts us directly. It has to be the pastor who contacts the Fathers of Mercy. So think about that. Maybe you're a layperson right now listening to this. 
let your pastor know about the Fathers of Mercy. Uh, uh, remind your pastor about the Eucharistic revival of this three-year period inaugurated this past Corpus Christi, and which will go through Corpus Christi of 2025. Uh, so maybe he will want to have a parish mission by your witnessing to him about it. So again, missions at fathersofmercy.com. Next up is Tom outside of Ann Arbor, Michigan, listening on Ave Maria Radio. Tom, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. I've got a testimony and a question. I've been married 17 years, and my wife left about a year and a half ago, and it's been killing me, literally. It feels like I'm dying every day. But um, so, as I pray to the Lord to bring her back, he says clearly to me, I know you love her. I want you to love me. And it's like, wow, I just don't know. How am I supposed to love God? Now, that's my question. Well, you know, in the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ and his bride, the Church, which gives us his sacraments, you are still a married man in the eyes of the Church. So you are the abandoned spouse, from what you said at the beginning of your comments there, that your wife left you. And the Church has a big heart for you in that regard and asks you to remain faithful as a married man uh, during this process uh, of separation. You know, uh, ideally it would have been nice if your wife didn't uh, separate completely, but rather within st by still being in the home with you, you know, if maybe you two could have separated into different spaces, because I'm not saying that she doesn't have any credibility on what her arguments are. She might well have her own arguments, and so I don't want to cast her out either. I want to give both of you a full pastoral ear. But for the benefit of our listeners, Tom, through your calling today, and, and you're giving a great, what I like to call a witness call, because uh, you're able to help so many other uh, husbands and wives that may be listening, there is a hierarchy of preference here. If there's a glimmering of the marriage breaking down, first is to uh, try to get things back on track through good, sound spiritual direction, both individually and as a couple and also with marriage counseling. There's great organizations out there like thealexanderhouse.org out of San Antonio, thealexanderhouse.org. Um, I have posted on the Fathers of Mercy website uh, uh, 25 helps for married couples, 25 spiritual helps for married couples, and if you and your wife can get through that list, I pray to God that your marriage is turning around. Uh, and becoming more solidified in the sacrament of matrimony that you both received however many years ago. Uh, so that's the first thing, is, is to get back to the sacraments. Maybe it's been a while since your wife has been to confession. Maybe it's been a while since you had been to confession by the, by the time she actually left you. Uh, show me a, a marriage with the earliest signs of breaking down, Tom, and chances are, chances are one or both of the spouses has fallen into a state of mortal sin. And precisely because of that state of mortal sin, the sacramental graces proper to the sacrament of matrimony have been cut off and are not being fed to the two spouses, uh, the, namely the one in uh, the state of mortal sin, until the mortal sin is confessed so that the sacramental graces associated with sacrament of matrimony can begin to flow again in that covenant between those two spouses, and especially in the one who's re-entered back into a state of grace and who is no longer in a state of mortal sin. Remember, each of the seven sacraments effects, that's with an E, not an A, I'm not saying affects, effects. Uh, each of the seven sacraments effects its own particular grace proper to that one particular sacrament. 
And if one or both spouses has fallen into a state of mortal sin, then the graces are effectually cut off from the sacrament of matrimony, feeding that couple until that spouse, or both of them, if it's both of them, that have fallen out of a state of grace, are returned back to a state of sanctifying grace by having the the sin confessed in the sacrament of reconciliation. Uh, so that's the first thing. We want, we want to return to the sacraments. We want good spiritual direction. We want good individual spiritual direction, let alone spiritual direction for the married couple uh, and, and good solid marriage counseling. So look on s- online, Tom, for the resources that the alexanderhouse.org puts out there. Look at my 25 spiritual helps for specifically Catholic married couples. You can find them at fathersofmercy.com. And on the search bar at the top, click on the magnifying glass. A search bar appears in the middle of the screen at the homepage of the Fathers of Mercy website. After clicking on the magnifying glass, uh, when that search bar comes up, simply put in 25, number two and number five, 25 Catholic marriage tips. It'll come right up as a PDF file, and you can print that out. Um, so that's the first thing, is to, is to try to remedy this in-house. If that can't be done and you two need to separate out of the bedroom, try to do that while still living under the same roof and respect one another for that. If that can't be helped, then separation of one spouse out of the house while still trying to work on the marriage. Not a straightaway divorce, not a straightaway annulment proceeding following the divorce, but trying to work it out. This is the hierarchy of preference that's given to us in canon law. But as as the abandoned spouse, um, our heart as a church goes out to you And yet, at the same time, we want to be able to evangelize to your wife, uh, to try to bring her back to the fullness of the fold, and to try to salvage the marriage. That's our goal here. Uh, In the the section on divorce, even though your divorce is not there yet, or, and hopefully it won't come to that, uh, but it surely isn't finalized yet because she's, she's recently left you, you said. The section on divorce talks about how the abandoning spouse, the one who left, has to repent of that. They have to repent of that before they can return to the sacraments. Even if the divorce is finalized, they still have to repent for the scandal they've caused. And this is all in the section uh, on divorce and the catechism. We forget about that. That's something that the abandoned spouse doesn't have to do, because it's the abandoned spouse that didn't leave. But the abandoning spouse has to make uh, reparation for that fact. Again, even even if they're they have a solid case, fine, but it still caused scandal of, of the divorce. So, so that has to be remembered. And this is all in the section on divorce in the catechism. So, so Tom, uh, I would urge you as a married man in the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, and in the eyes of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, still being a married man, even if the divorce goes through, apart from an annulment, you are still a married man. Live as such. Live chastely. Uh, you're not open to courtship, you're not open to dating others, because you can't, because a married man doesn't do that. Uh, You want to be civil, you want to be chaste, you want to be charitable, uh, even to the abandoning wife who's left you. You want to stay on the right track with the sacraments, regular confession. You know, a separation of the abandoning spouse, even a civil divorce, does not bar you from confession. It does not bar you from the Eucharist. 
So long as you're living a chaste life, my brother, you can still receive regular confession. You can still receive regular, regular Holy Communion at Sunday Mass. And I would urge you to try to go to Mass even a couple more times during the week if your work schedule permits it. It may not. But surely your Sunday obligation Mass, that's important. Um, these are the things you want to stay faithful to. The daily rosary, the daily Divine Mercy Chaplet, prayers of reparation in any way that your marriage might have caused scandal in any way that you might have sinned against your marriage when you and your wife were still together. Offer up prayers of reparation for that. Fast for your wife. Uh, Say prayers of deliverance for your wife. Uh, Say prayers of deliverance for yourself. Fast for yourself to overcome anything that you might be guilty of in the marriage covenant as to why she left you. Because again, I'm not I'm not throwing her under the bus here. I, I don't know what her story is. She could have had legitimate reasons. My goal here is to give you both an ear, uh, to give you both my ear, uh, to to help you both how to see how this can be possibly remedied. Praise God, and in the process of it being remedied, to stay active sacramentally in the church and through a strong life of prayer. The daily examination of conscience, uh, that's important. Close it with an act of contrition. Um, Hang around holy friends. You know the old maxims, show me your friends and I'll show you your life. Garbage in, garbage out. Virtue in, virtue out. That's important. So you want to you want to hang around virtuous people during this trying time in your life. So Tom, those are some of the things that I would I would urge you uh, during this time of, of I, what I have no doubt is a trial for you, what I have no doubt is a white martyrdom for you, to stay faithful. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Carlo, a first-time caller in Bristol, Connecticut, listening at EWTN.com. Carlo, you're on with Father Wade. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I was also uh, you know, hearing the uh, questions. That's so interesting. Uh, yes. Uh, well, I I I I I saw this comment here in the Bible that say that uh, Cain and Abel may might be not exactly being the children of uh, Adam and Eve. So because they uh, try to kind of said that. There were at that time another people already, but I don't know why this. I I got confused about that. Yeah, I would have to see the translation uh, to to give any comment on that, Carlo. But I can tell you this: um, you know, f- from a literal interpretation of reading the words at face value. Um, you know, Cain and Abel are are the children of Adam and Eve. But then again, remember, we also have the spiritual sense of Scripture, which gives us three subsets of interpretation, the moral, the anagogical, and the allegorical. So there's two parent categories of interpretation, the literal and the spiritual, right? The literal means just what it states. It's taking the words literally at their face value, and and doing so, we would then hold that they were the sons of Adam and Eve. But the spiritual category, the second and final parent category of interpretation, has three subsets. Uh, Again, the moral, the anagogical, and the allegorical. And so uh, that that may be something that 
that particular translation that you're looking at is taking into account, uh, presuming it's a Catholic translation, uh, something that it's taking into account in that regard. So I, I want to I refer you to the senses of Scripture in the Universal Catechism. It's just a few uh, paragraph numbers, number 115 through 118. Uh, the literal sense is the meaning conveyed by the words of Scripture itself and discovered by exegesis at face value, following the rules of sound interpretation. Then the spiritual has three subsets. The spiritual itself means this, thanks to the unity of God's plan, not only the text in the literal sense of Scripture, but also the realities and events about which it speaks can be signs for other interpretations. Number one, the allegorical sense. We can acquire a more profound understanding of events by recognizing their significance in Christ. Thus, for example, the crossing of the Red Sea can be seen as a sign or type of Christ's victory over evil and also as a sign or type of the sacrament of baptism. Why? Because the Israelites uh, escaped their slavery from Egypt. And so going through the Red Sea is a sign or a type of baptism, escaping evil, right? Uh, the moral sense, the events reported in Scripture ought to lead us to act justly and morally. As St. Paul says, uh, they were written for our instruction, huh? That's quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. And, he, and conferring Hebrews 3, verses 4 through 11. And then lastly, the anagogical sense, or anagogy, the Greek word anagogy, meaning leading, it leads us into something. Uh, we can view realities and events in Scripture in terms of their eternal significance, leading us towards our true homeland. Thus, the church on earth is seen as a sign of the heavenly Jerusalem talked about in the book of Revelation. So a nice medieval couplet uh, for you English buffs out there, a nice medieval couplet sums up these three senses, uh, or these four senses of Scripture, the literal and the spiritual, the spiritual having the three subsets. Listen to this. This is number 118. A medieval couplet summarizes the significance of these four senses of Scripture when it says, quote, the letter speaks of deeds, allegory to faith, and the moral how to act. And lastly, anagogy is our destiny. So again, the letter, the literal sense, the words at their value, at face value, the letter speaks of deeds, allegory to faith, the moral how to act, and anagogy, our destiny. So there you go, uh, Carlo. Maybe that's one of the senses that, that it was referring to when it made that comment. Uh, no one has their paw, their finger on the pulse of Catholic culture in America like Teresa Tamio. Check her out on Catholic Connection tomorrow morning and every morning, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Yvette in the great state of California, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Yvette, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Um, God bless you all. Thank you. Uh, I just want to be a witness of the glory of God. Yes, I stopped please. being an alcoholism. I was in a, in this uh, problem, in addiction, for a long time. Okay. And I have a vision of hell. I have a vision of souls being a whole, screaming. I could see the souls be stained inside, like, a, like a, if we were in a candle inside. And uh, they they were looking black inside. Wow. It was really really uh, horrible. I was scared to see that, and they were screaming, screaming terrible. When I come out from the vision, I was so worried. What I had a vision, 
So I went to church. I used to go to church every Sunday, but I started being like, uh, I, I, I just want to be helped from someone. So I went to confession. Beautiful. And the priest, yes, the, I told the priest, even though I come to mass, even though I do, I, I pray the rosary, uh, I still don't know what's happening because I cannot stop drinking on weekends. And that is really worrying me. Um, so he to- he asked me to go outside and look at the crucifix of Jesus in the cross. And I say, why well, he's asking me that? So I went and sit down. And when I looked to the crucifix, and he he asked me first, what is the first commandment? And at the moment, I, I couldn't even respond. And then I say, you should love God over all the things. So he said, very well. So now you go and look in there, sit down, and look at the crucifix. When I went out, I said, why he say that to me? Something come in my ear and say, oh, I'm not loving God. Because if I love God, I won't be in an addiction. Every time I have a problem, I, I want to go and drink. Right. Instead of relying on God, instead of loving God and allow God to to cure me or to do something in my life and act. From well, that day, I start I stopped drinking. Beautiful. I, I was drinking a little bit until I stopped. Beautiful. Yvette, what a great witness call you're giving us about your former drinking addiction and how you weaned yourself off of it. Um by confessing in the sacrament of penance, and you bring forth a very valuable point by stating that fact. Remember, when we confess a particular vice in confession, the vice is adversely affected by us bringing it to the light of the sacrament of reconciliation. The devil loves darkness. He loves to keep everything hidden in the dark. When we expose the most heinous and wicked and addictive vices or sins that we have— in the sacrament of penance, we are exposing them to the light of Jesus Christ. And to hear those words, I absolve you. Now, does does, does the words of absolution, uh, uh, does it absolutely cure the addiction? No, it doesn't. But it, those words of absolution put you back in a state of sanctifying grace with moral certitude so that you can then exit the confessional and begin to face your addiction head on with newfound graces and strength that you didn't have before when you didn't confess the vice. And that's what you experience. You are a regular mass goer. You are a regular prayer of prayers like the, like the rosary, which is so important in the spiritual life, which focuses on the life of Christ. Uh, you were faithful to those things, yes, but you hadn't necessarily confessed the addiction to the vice of drinking. And once you did that and shared it with your confessor who acted in persona Christi in the person of Christ, in persona Christi Capitis in the person of Christ the head, and he gave you some counsel, he gave you some spiritual direction, you were able to then see this addiction in a new light, that it was taking you away from your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And even though it wasn't immediate that you were off the drink, it began being lessened and lessened to where now you're not drinking, you say. And praise God for that. May, may, may you re- remain and, and keep that strength, retain that strength, and, and remain uh, as a non-drinker. What a great witness call, and it shows the beauty of confession and how confession can break the bond of that. Next up is Elizabeth in Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Elizabeth, you're on with Father Wade. 
Hi, Father Wade. Um, I just want to say thank you. I love your show so much. It is so edifying to me. Well, thank and, you, Elizabeth. Um, uh, I was calling because you're asking for testimonies, and um, I don't have an amazing testimony like the caller before me. That was so amazing to hear. Um, but I just wanted to say that I try and make small transformations in my life on a regular basis to bring myself closer to Christ. I don't have like a huge struggle like alcoholism or anything, but um, I think that the transformation is for everyone and that uh, we can always make choices to bring us closer to God. You know, you're explaining, Elizabeth, is the small sacrifices every day, which Our Lady told the three children at Fatima to do, which is also what Teresa's little way is made up of, huh? Uh, what, which is what St. Mother Teresa always talked about, doing the small things for the love of God, even the small hidden things that nobody else knows about. Uh, those are the things you're doing. You're following the pathway of the saints, and that's just a, a fantastic, fantastic witness. Thank you so much. You know, the, the hidden things are powerful. Uh, even the things that we're not necessarily doing for another per se, but we're doing just on our own, like the short, fervent aspiration prayers said throughout the day, my guardian angel, protect me. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I love you, save souls. Uh, uh, o Mary, concede without sin. Pray for us who have recourse to thee. Each time we pass a cemetery, uh, eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. These small things that we do throughout the day, uh, not having that, that second cup of coffee, not, not having that second piece of pie, not taking seconds at the meal, uh, offering to hold a door for somebody, offering to pay for the car behind you uh, in the fast food line. These little sacrifices we make can help transform the world. And this is what the saints mean. And I talked about the three Fatima children, St. Therese, of Legere, doctor of the church, by the way, and Mother Teresa of Calcutta, uh, who experienced the dark night for 42 years, mind you. They teach us the way, and that's what you're doing, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Quickly, we'll head to Susan in San Diego, California, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Susan, you're on with Father Wade. Oh, hi, Father. Hi, hi everybody. Hi, Susan. Um, I'm calling about the, the man they called earlier, um, whose wife left him a yes, year and a half yes. ago, I think you said. Yes, what would you like well, to say? Thank you. Well, my husband left six years ago, and he just came back, and it was like, it blew my mind. I wasn't like, it, it was God's work, because I kind of, I didn't ever give up. I I want him to never give up hope in God, because um, once I did realize that God is my like spouse for that time being, or that that kind of right. mentality that he this guy made, you know, my husband made his own decision after 36 years, and I there's I realized I couldn't do much about it, but God you... led me led me to understanding that it, it's His will. Whatever happened was going to be His will. And you remain faithful, Susan. That's the main thing, which I told the other gentleman to stay. Remain faithful to the sacraments because you saw yourself still as married. Thank you so much for a great witness. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Benizis, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Back at it again tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until then, God bless.